Welcome to Stories of Iceland. I would like to start by thanking Laura Garou, who became my very first Patreon backer. I can't stress how happy that makes me. You can visit my Patreon site at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there and more on the way. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is the 10th episode, and it's called The Icelandic Sport Saga. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. In 2018, for the first time ever, the Icelandic men's team in football, or soccer for my American listeners, is competing in the World Cup. A part of their promotional material has pictures of the team drawn as Vikings. This is a part of the Icelandic myth and one of the lies we tell foreigners. We are not Vikings, and most Icelandic settlers weren't Vikings. Even in Norway, Sweden and Denmark, there weren't that many Vikings. Vikings were people who went killing and stealing. Vikings are great fodder for stories and songs but terrible as human beings. So luckily, the Icelandic national team in football has nothing in common with Vikings. But let's use this excuse to look back in time at the history of Icelandic sports, beginning with the sagas and ending with football. The Icelandic word for sports is íþróttir. It originally meant any kind of skill. Those skills included things that are today associated with sports, like archery, throwing, swimming, but could also mean poetry. The only team sport that is mentioned in the sagas was called knatlekur, which means something like ball game. It could be played on grass or ice. The rules of the game are poorly understood. It might have looked a bit like ice hockey or the Irish game hurling, but much, much more violent. Like hockey or hurling, each man seems to have had a stick that he used to hit the ball and sometimes his opponents. If the fatality and injury rate in the sagas is to be believed, this might have been the most dangerous sport of all time. But of course the sagas can't really be trusted as a source, though 
it would be foolish to think that they can't tell us something about early Icelandic society. But the most important sport in Iceland history is glima, which is an Icelandic form of wrestling. It is considered the national sport of Iceland. It is likely that the name originally meant play or game. We can't really say when glima came into being, since the word glima can also be translated as being anything from a simple verbal conflict to an unrestricted brawl. The word glima is, for instance, used in the story of when Thor traveled to the giant Utgardar-Loki. The giant tried to fool Thor in various ways, including fighting with the giant's old nurse, who is really the personification of old age. And everyone, even a god like Thor, ends up losing when they wrestle with old age. Another famous wrestler of the medieval Icelandic literature is Grettir, of the saga of Grettir. His story could fill a whole episode, but I'll just give you this fact. The name Grettir is used as the Icelandic translation for Garfield, the orange cat who hates Mondays. I don't know if the original Grettir hated Mondays, but it seems likely since he was known for being quite grumpy. Even though the word glima is of Nordic origin, the Icelandic form of glima didn't evolve until it had infused influences from the British Isles. In the 13th century, we had laws about glima. They said that if you got hurt while wrestling, it was your own fault for participating. Glima was a common form of entertainment in Iceland through the ages. People wrestled to get warm, to test their strength, and to defeat zombies and outlaws. In 1906, a national championship was established. The winner of the competition is called the Glima King of Iceland. The king gets the ceremonial belt of Grettir, which we could translate as the belt of Garfield, but my guess is that Icelandic Glima fans might be offended. The Icelandic Glima has been an exhibition sport at the Olympics. I read claims that in 1908, the wrestlers from Iceland just showed up and wanted to compete in Glima, and were quite confident that they would win medals. That didn't happen. But one of them, Johannes Josefsson, did compete in Greco-Roman wrestling and thus became the first Icelander to compete at the Olympics, though he was listed as Danish. Today, if you see people doing the glima, you might be confused about what they are doing. The glima is a formal and even ritualistic affair and you are not supposed to hurt the opponent at all. Unlike most forms of wrestling, it is done standing up. Also, the wrestlers step back and forth in a circle, which looks a lot like people dancing the waltz very badly. The wrestlers hold on to each other's belts, 
and try to trip each other or lift until someone loses balance and falls down. Glima hasn't been popular in Iceland for a long time, despite efforts to keep it relevant. For instance, in 1956, when boxing was banned, there was also a law passed that reaffirmed the right of every schoolboy to get lessons in Glima. I remember a single gym class in elementary school that was devoted to Glima. It was actually quite fun, and no one got hurt. The decline of Glima in the 20th century is likely connected to the fact that there has been a great influx of new types of sports. One of those sports has also been claimed to be the national sport of Iceland. This is handball, but not the sort of handball you're likely thinking about, unless you've seen it played in the Olympics. This sport was invented in Denmark in the late 19th century. If you've never seen it played, you could imagine water polo being played on dry land. There are two teams, seven players on each side, including a goalkeeper. There is a goal on each end of the field, which looks like a smaller version of a football goal. There's a soccer goal. The handball itself also looks like a scaled-down football. The players pass the ball between each other, and then try to throw it into the opposing team's goal. Today, this game is played on an indoor field, but it used to be an outdoor sport. Handball was first played in Iceland in 1921 and has grown very popular. There are many reasons for its popularity. For one, most countries don't even know the sport exists, so the opponents are easier than in football or basketball. Another reason is that it is popular in other Nordic countries. So we can play Denmark, Norway, Sweden and even Finland without having to travel too far. But it is also played in Germany, Russia, Korea and Japan. Iceland has always ranked pretty high as a handball playing nation. Though the biggest victory I remember as a child was when Iceland became world champions. Almost. They were the world champions of second-level national teams. That was in 1989, and everyone celebrated as if we had really become world champions. The handball team even recorded a song where they proclaimed that they would do their very best and even a little more than that, if that is what it took. Six years later, we hosted the real world championship of handball in Iceland. One part of the early rounds was played in my hometown of Akureyri. Even though you likely hadn't heard about this World Cup, it was a big deal in 1995, especially in Akureyri. I remember squeezing past the television truck from Denmark and thinking about how the games were being broadcast around the world. 
I got to see a part of one game, and I barely remember who were playing, maybe Denmark and Sweden. At the same time, I was finishing the last year of compulsory education, and was taking the equivalent of the American SATs. And also, since the venue was where my school had gym classes, we got to skip some of those. In Iceland, the World Championship is remembered for three reasons. One, the weird Alphys mascot that we selected. Second, the Icelandic team lost badly. And thirdly, that the Prime Minister of Iceland, David Ottson, wrote the lyrics to the official song of the championship called The Song of Brotherhood. Actually, these are also the reasons Icelanders try to forget the huge embarrassment of the World Cup of 1995. But the biggest victory the Icelandic handball team achieved was an Olympic silver medal at the Beijing Games of 2008. After losing the last game, some people claimed that a good silver was better than gold, which just isn't true. The First Lady of Iceland proclaimed on live television that Iceland was the biggest country in the world. But symbolically, the silver medal and the hero's welcome that the Icelandic team received marks the end of an era in Iceland. A little over a month later, the Icelandic banks came crashing down and the recession began. Dollars, euros and pounds used to be cheap, but now doubled in price. Before 2008, Iceland had only three medals at the Olympics, none of them gold, two bronze and one silver. One of the medals, a bronze one from 1984, was won for judo, which is quite interesting since judo is arguably the international sport that has most in common with the Icelandic Lima. Of the three Icelandic Olympic medalists, there were two men and a woman. Actually, women in Iceland have often had better luck than men in sports. For instance, before the men's team in football qualified for the 2018 World Cup, the women's team had a far superior record. But that always gets less attention. The Icelandic men's team, which is when I am recording this, about to start its first World Cup, has had a pretty bad record. Football in Iceland started sometime in the very late 19th century. The most famous game of all time was a 1967 loss against Denmark. One story about the game goes that when the Icelandic team had scored a second goal against the nine goals of Denmark, one of the Icelandic players said... They're finished. Let's even the score. The result was 14 goals against two, which is humiliating. Also, it was only 23 years after we declared our independence from Denmark, so the loss felt even worse. 
the phrase 14.2 has been used ever since, and everybody knows what it means, even though they weren't even born back then. The most famous Icelandic footballer of the 20th century was arguably Albert Guðmundsson. Albert was the first Icelandic professional footballer. He started his career in 1944 with the Glasgow Rangers, then played a few matches with Arsenal of London, but couldn't get a work visa, then a stint in France, and then he signed with the Italian team AC Milan. He ended his career back in France. If you know nothing about football, you might not understand that the three teams I mentioned are among the most famous in the world. Albert later ran for president and lost to Vigdís Finnbogadóttir, who was the first female president. He was also later a government minister and an ambassador to France. In 1969, the Icelandic Football Association was near bankrupt, so Albert called upon his old friends in Arsenal and asked if the team would visit Iceland and play the Icelandic team. Arsenal agreed, and when Albert asked what their fee would be, Arsenal reminded him that since he hadn't gotten his work visa back in 1946, he hadn't gotten paid for those games so it didn't seem fair to charge him now. The game went ahead with 11,000 paying for attendance, which was about 5% of the total population of Iceland. This is how Arsenal saved Icelandic football. I don't know if Arsenal fans regretted this deed in 2016, when Iceland eliminated England from the European Cup. But that was the best that Iceland has ever done, and it wasn't only the team that was noticed. To inspire the team, Icelandic fans clapped their hands and chanted something that sounds like the word who. It is the bit you can hear at the end of my theme song. This was called a Viking clap. Of course there was nothing Viking about it. It wasn't even Icelandic. It seems to have been originated by a Scottish football club called Motherwell. They played an Icelandic team and the Icelanders brought the clapping back to Iceland. So, on second thought, maybe taking something from Scotland and then claiming it as your own is a very Viking thing to do. At least more Viking than wearing a plastic helmet with horns on. Well, that's all for this episode. Please check out my Patreon site, patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. Thanks again, Laura. And also, thanks to Genius 29 Noah and Pat, Rachel Rear Carter, and the only Tiger fan in Mississippi for your reviews. They made my day. I know there are many more reviews out there, and hopefully you'll add one of your own. So, like, subscribe, rate, and support. I am Olegnistis Olerson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, the Icelandic sports saga. Thanks for listening.